Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. During the pandemic, when my son and I would wash hands for our 22nd rule, we would say the Lord's Prayer, which goes a little something like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the glory, and the honor, and the power, forever and ever. Amen. As it is in heaven. It's a good reminder of the kingdom of heaven, a gospel heritage for kingdom come. Jesus taught that his kingdom is not of this world. It's a response of Jesus that we see in reaction to the actions of Peter, the disciple who, when Judas Iscariot and the mob betrayed Jesus in the garden, drew out his sword and cut off the servant's ear. Jesus' response is something to the effect that this is not the way. This is not the way. And an echo of his words previously that people in this world will try to take his kingdom by force but that is not the way of God. Many generations prior, we read the account of Nebuchadnezzar, the king during Daniel's time. We read this account in Daniel chapter 7. Nebuchadnezzar went out and said, This is my kingdom. Look what I have made. I am so amazing. Of course, I paraphrase. This is the kingdom of me. And at that very moment, God sent him to the hills. He, He took away that kingdom. He took away those friends that supported him. He took away even Nebuchadnezzar's sanity. And it's arguable which happened first. It is a bit of a delusion, a bit of a stretch to elevate oneself so high. And then he became so low. He was in the mountain for seven years. He grew long hair and and long claws on his fingers. And I can't help but think of the foil of John the Baptist many generations later who went out into the wilderness but was filled with the Spirit of God, who wore camel hair clothes and ate locusts and honey, and who was out there telling people to repent. (laughs) And when the religious leaders came, he would call them, you brood of vipers who warned you of the kingdom to come. We read a difference of an exile by choice and an exile not by choice, an exile governed by the Spirit of God and one by the Spirit of self. We read later of Jesus, this contrast, and we read in Philippians 2 about what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, to take on yourself, your role as if you were a servant, as a servant to serve others. Jesus modeled this with his disciples when he washed their feet. He said, do as I do. This same disciple who would later draw his sword also said at this time, as Jesus wanted to wash his feet, Lord, not I. And Jesus replied, if you don't let me do this, you'll have no part in me. So Peter said in his dramatic fashion, all of me, Lord, wash all of me. Now, what does this all have to do with heritage tree, a generational care of the family of God? 
The question is, what kingdoms are we building? What kingdom am I building? What kingdoms are you building? What kingdoms do we build? And are they in line with the gospel heritage? At last, Nebuchadnezzar said, came to his senses, not unlike the prodigal son who was out eating slops and realized, oh, I have a whole bunch at home with my father who will take good care of me. I could just be a hired hand. Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses and said, and acknowledged that God was the one over all. And that's when God restored his kingdom to him and his friends. Now, what did Nebuchadnezzar do with this new influence? Well, old habits die hard. He ordered everyone to worship this God. Now, we have an intellectual change, a change of choice, but that didn't always regenerate people's character. It didn't always change their methods. Here is why Jesus is so powerful and the Holy Spirit that he gives those who follow him. It transforms us from the inside out. Scriptures teach that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The clue comes by the word creation. It doesn't talk about building a kingdom or am I single married or building an empire, check one. It talks about being a new creation. Back in the book of Daniel, we read that the wise will shine like stars. In Philippians, we read to do everything without complaining or grumbling so that we will become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this, it says, crooked and perverse generation in which we, what? Shine like stars. Our scale is much more beyond ourselves. Our reach, our shine, our glow is much more than just us and what we can gain out of this gospel heritage or out of this world. Jesus said to shine like a light on a hill, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. How do these imperatives reflect in your daily life? Do the kingdoms that we build matter on our social media numbers, which are, by the way, often inflated by spam followers, trollers, even operatives and the like who just want to sell you something or spread disinformation or comment argue or just grab your followers or someone's blank account? It's a big inflated space that is difficult to manage. It needs to be managed for a sense of credibility, right? Does it not? But that number, does that do something for you? Or do you redeem that space and manage the numbers, manage your account, manage your content in a way that it glorifies God, that it builds his kingdom, that it cares for people? Is your lens always turned inward on yourself, on your family, on your home, on your stuff? Listen, I do the same thing. It can be fun. It is an outlet. It is a way to connect. Social media can also be a symptom of that lack of connection that we have in our everyday life and this increasing dependence on the grid and the internet to communicate with others, to even monetize our way of life. We see this a lot in the mom spheres, in the mom spaces, in the mom bloggers who do an amazing job building their accounts and referencing ads and linking to different profiles and creating contests and creating content for other moms and let us remember that this whole platform is built for advertising and advertising is built on these human tendencies for covetousness for envy for feeling as though you don't have enough 
And when you feel that way as a mother, that can disadvantage your mothering, can it not? We hear this a lot. We hear this a lot from moms who struggle with the overwhelm of mothering by themselves or with minimal support or with the challenges that we face and encounter in our world for caregivers of young children or aging parents or spouses, the feeling of overwhelm and the resources, the the tethers can be much more thin. This is what we mean by disparity, by marginalization, that the margins are eroded and people in certain groups have less access to the resources that they need, the kingdom, as it were, that they need the structure, the infrastructure, the nest, the norms that they need for a degree of stability and orderliness in their lives so that they can have some wiggle room to live it. So I ask, what kingdoms do we build? What kingdoms are we building? We see Jesus address this quite bluntly over the matter of currency. When he says, give to Caesars what is Caesars and to God's what is God's. And again, the scribes, the religious leaders, the legal leaders were trying to trap him in his words. There was something about them that they just didn't like. They just hated and were so enraged at how he helped people that they didn't like, that they despised. And these people, mark this, were often those who were, again, marginalized, who were on the margins. We read about this with the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, and they despised her. We read about this with the men who were trying to stone the woman that they caught, however that meant, however that went down, in adultery, and look at the response of Jesus. He did not condemn as they did. So they were always trying to get into these word matches with him, and of course he always won. So what do you do when you cannot defeat someone? You try to make them go away by a satanic standard, and that's what they tried to do by scheming later to kill him. And they succeeded using the religious systems and the loopholes in the law and the politic and the turf wars. They used all of that to their political advantage to crucify an innocent person who healed people. And what did the crowds do? They mocked him. Was this the very people that he healed and helped? Did they have the agency or the courage or the power to stand up and advocate for him? And if they did, would it have worked or would the leaders have killed them too? We don't know. All we know is after Judas betrayed Jesus in the garden and Peter sliced off the ear of the servant and Jesus said, this is not the way. (laughs) And he said much more than this, if you go read the account in all the Gospels, but especially Matthew. Jesus credits prophecy. He says, this has happened so that scripture will be fulfilled. Do you not think that I could ask God the Father to send down 12 legions of angels in my defense? No, this is happening so that the scriptures can be fulfilled. When we build our kingdoms, Are we as Jesus in the garden crying out, not my will, but yours be done three times while our most ardent supporters are sleeping or not knowing how to support us? Are we that dedicated and committed to the kingdom of God in our lives and in the future that we will say, not our will, but yours be done. Let your will be fulfilled in my life. Are we basing what we do on the foundation of scriptures and on the cornerstone, the very rock of Jesus and the work that he's called us to do. Do we know what he's called us to do? 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us that not only does God save us by his grace, but he's done it. Why? For good works that he created in advance for us to do in Christ Jesus. There is a timeline, a progression, a plan, a purpose that God has, a destiny, if you will, whatever word you want to use to honor this concept of meaning and purpose throughout the course of our lives, of history, of time, of our future. We can talk so much about the past and analyze the problems that we only entrench in them further, and arguing about them will only cause confusion and strife and decenter us, wobbling us, knocking us off of our balance until we fall over. Are the kingdoms that we build, that you and I build, that we are building in the church and society, are the kingdoms that we are building... Do they have a strong foundation, a sense of stability? In previous episodes, we talked about politics and ideology and the role of the church in bearing a redemptive witness of kingdom come instead of arguing over these things, that ideology and ideological differences can often just be a diversion, a form of, if you will, indulgence or even laziness. They cause a lot of strife and hurt and pain, and they take enormous amount of energy. But don't mistake that for real work, the real work and labor of actually going out and connecting to the very topic that you're concerned about. We talked about that in terms of family care. If you're concerned about pro-choice or pro-life, what are you doing to go out and serve those moms? What are you doing to go out and love on those babies or advocate for better resources? And this doesn't always have to be a political answer. What are we doing in the church to, to design our culture, our leadership, our staffing, our programs, our anything in the church, our service inside, our service to the community? What are we doing to align what we're concerned about in our political landscape with our mission as a church. Because honestly, that's the church. The church is supposed to be doing this work, in my opinion, that we're to be doing this work, as I read, to be part of the body of Christ until kingdom come. He's got his head up in heaven, we talked about, and the rest of us are all down here in different parts of that body doing different things. But listen, my toe, hopefully, was not going to run away from me. I need it. It's going to be on me. We need to be having this sense of unity and solidarity, togetherness over doing the work that we're concerned about. So that was in previous episodes and bringing it back to this one. Are we aligning the purpose of our kingdom with the purposes of God? And how do we know the purposes of God? We do know in Romans 12, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, such as kingdom building, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind so we can test, know, and prove what God's perfect and pleasing will is for us. We read in other scriptures that actually state what his will is for us. Now, we don't know if that's the entire will, but we know it's part of it. In Thessalonians and Corinthians, it talks about his will being gratitude and continuing in the work that he has given us to do with patience. We read about that in Galatians 6 with the metaphor of a farmer. Throughout scriptures, we read the spiritual gifts and fruit listed in Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Against such things there is no what? Fill in the blank. There's no law. That's almost a kingdom word, is it not? In the scriptures, we read about 
all the different sectors in society. There is something for everyone in the Holy Scriptures. And a lot of the stories are actually somewhat off-putting, somewhat hurtful or, or frightening. If you read in the, the apocalyptic scriptures and the and throughout Judges, the scripts of terror, there are some horrible things. And there's this difference between descriptive speech and normative or prescriptive speech. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I could be describing to you something that I witnessed or observed happen or something that I'm thinking about, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm agreeing with it, that I'm saying that, yes, this is good, that, yes, this is the way it should be. And sometimes we can make the mistake of approaching Scripture and reading it and saying, oh, God must say that's okay. Oh, my word. Did they really believe this? Well, if you read, for example, in Judges 19, this woman who gets no name in Scripture's, she was the concubine of a man, and he's traveling through Gibeah, and and she's terrorized and tormented and sexually assaulted and abused all night long. Why? Because the host of the house that's giving hospitality to her traveling company, which includes her, her concubined um, man, he is inside, and they're trying to save him, but not her. So they throw her outside for her to be abused and harmed to the point where they murder her and take her life. The mob kills her. And she, at morning, at dawn, they open the door and there are her hands on the threshold trying to get inside. It is this gruesome, painful scene. A big picture, actually, of the doors that are closed on women, I might say, in our world of the evil things that we allow that are socially acceptable to do to them and their children. <laughs> now, she did not have any that we know of in this story. But she's a woman that doesn't get a name. And what does, what does the husband figure do to her? Well, he cuts her up and he sends each part to the 12 tribes to show them what happened. And of course, they're all incensed and upset because that's gruesome shock. Did we not see this in recent years with the filming of the murders of, of black folks such as George Floyd. And we see this in the white response to that of indignation for about a year. And then support of Black Lives Matter, has it gone up or down since then? The question is, what kingdoms are we building? What are we allowing to maintain our way of life? Well, this story gives us a little answer to that, at least in the time of Judges 19. The tribes are all indignant, and they rally, and they come together, and then they decide they're going to go make war with the people who in the city that did this, so they go and they do that. And there's only, there are very much um, more of them than there are the people they're fighting, and yet the people they're fighting from this town of Gibeah are very strong and mighty, and they almost win this battle, and they go on for days and days. Well, at the end of the result, they have this situation where they find out, okay, well, the war stops and about several hundred of the, the men flee into the woods and they have this situation where, well, we don't have any wives, so, so let's go take some. <laughs> we know that, that there's these women and these people that pass along this way and we're going to give them wives and then that's going to make them settle down and then we'll just move on our way. So they effectively human traffic some girls and women for wives for the, these people, and then they move on their way and things go on. 
Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree. Thank you.